Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Last week we started the series, this message series, We Believe. It's based on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is one of the ancient formulas of, of how to express faith for those very early Christians and, and actually even for a time was used in, uh, in a baptism setting. When somebody came for baptism, they were examined, so to speak. Uh, and so the priest might say, do you, do you believe in God? And the person would say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and, and so on through the, uh, through the Apostles' Creed. It was a way to express faith and to be introduced into the faith and to say, these are the things that I believe. And I think uh, it would be a good thing uh, to say the Apostles' Creed. Now, you know, when, in the other service at 945, we often say affirmations and creeds. That's pretty regular. We don't do this because this is a contemporary service, and generally you don't do those contemporary, I mean, those are traditional kinds of things. But I think today, since this is the series, this would be a good thing for us to do. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able, and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed before the Scripture is read. So say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And so now will you listen for the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Kelly Fitzgerald, and I'll be reading Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kelly, thank you for reading the scripture today. I think you're sitting right over there somewhere. So thank you, Kelly. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate you making that video. A couple of the common phrases you hear said around here at uh, Stonebridge United Methodist Church is, uh, one is something about being the hands and feet of Jesus. Another one is to live and love like Jesus. Obviously, we think Jesus is pretty important. And that's kind of the, right, that's what we look to to say, that's what I need to live like. To be the hands and feet of Jesus, to live and love like Jesus. So these, so this week and next week, we're looking at Jesus as reflected in uh, the Apostles' Creed. And so this week, we're talking today, I'm going to be talking about Jesus on earth, and next week, it's going to be Jesus in heaven. Now, that's, that's an artificial distinction to make. Uh, you can't really say, sometimes Jesus was human, sometimes he was divine. No, it, it was all together all the time, but this is just an effort for us to kind of highlight the humanity of Jesus this week, and then next week kind of highlight the divine nature of Jesus um, in the message next week. So 
that's that's what we're uh, that's what we're doing. So uh, we we believe that Jesus was fully human. Well, what does what does it mean really to be fully human? What is fully human? Sometimes you hear that. You'll see, you'll see things posted on Facebook or, or other social media sometimes about becoming fully human. What, what, does, that, what does that really mean? And, and what's our reference point for that? I mean, th- there's a lot of talk uh, in our culture about things like, you know, living up to your potential, about self-actualization. Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking those things, I'm, but I'm saying if the, the, the challenge to those is if that means the reference point for humanity is me, us. And so it doesn't take very long until you're, you're, it's kind of a closed loop. I mean, and what does that mean to be fully human, to, be, um, uh, to live up to your potential? Does that mean that all your bills are paid, you've saved enough for retirement, and you're healthy, and you have good relationships? Is that... Is that Living up to your potential? Is it having no pain in your body even as you age? Is it, is it being, having success at work, being promoted throughout your career, and you're doing well and you're doing great? What does it mean? I mean, and so if the self is your only reference point, well, it just becomes this closed loop of always trying to achieve the next thing. There is a, there is a Christian view that's expressed in the Bible of what it means to be fully human, and that is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, you can find these in Scripture passages like uh, Romans 8.29 and Colossians 3.10 uh, where it says it pretty straightforwardly to be conformed to the image of Christ. That, we would, that, that our lives would be aligned with the teaching and example. That, that we would truly look to Jesus uh, who in Hebrews it says is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith and model our life after that, that our attitudes and actions would more and more look like the attitudes and actions of Jesus as we read about it in the Gospels. Irenaeus was a bishop in the second century uh, in what is now Lyon, France area, and his, the quote, he, the thing he said about this was, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Gregory of Nyssa was a, a bishop in the fourth century, uh, Bishop of Cappadocia, in, in a sermon, he called for slaves to be seen as fully human in the light of who Christ is and to treat slaves as equals. I'll think about that for a second. The fourth, fourth century, that's back in the 300s. That was a long time ago. We know a little bit about history, right? And we know how slaves were treated in pretty much any society and culture that long ago. I mean, this was a bold statement for Bishop Gregory to say, treat those slaves as equals, even though they maybe haven't achieved as much as you have. They didn't go to the schools you went to. They may not actually have a home to live in. They may be really different than you. And yet, treat them as equals in the light of who Christ is. Well, let's consider for a second uh, Jesus' disciples. Uh, What a motley bunch of people that was. Um, So you had had Peter, the rock on whom I will build my church, Jesus said of him, who who became the most prominent and influential disciple of of the twelve. 
Do you remember what his occupation was? Fisherman. He was a fisherman. Okay, back in the day, where would a fisherman rank on society's scale? Yeah, kind of low, kind of low. Also in the group was a guy who was pretty smart. Um, pretty smart, he was pretty good with numbers. And so ultimately they said, well, tell you what, you take care of our accounting. His name was Judas. He betrayed Jesus. Then you had a couple of guys that, it's just, this is just interesting, you have, okay, you have... Matthew, who is a tax collector, remember tax collectors, and that, in the, when the Bible talks about a tax collector in the New Testament, that means someone who lives in the homeland of the Jews, which today we call it the Holy Land, we take tours there. In that region, you had the Jews living, but the Romans, right, had taken over. The Jews weren't running their own show, they weren't, they weren't making their own decisions, the Romans were doing it. And they did not like the Romans doing that. Some of them would go to work for the Romans, like Matthew. He'd go to work for the Romans to become a tax collector, to take taxes from his neighbors to give what was owed to the Roman government. Now, there's always a surcharge, right? So what, so what the tax collectors would do is they'd always charge more than what Rome demanded so that they got paid. And some of them became wealthy on the backs of their neighbors. So you had, you had Matthew. Then you have one named Simon, another Simon. Uh, different translations and different uh, origins sometimes say the Caesarean. But it's Simon the Zealot. The Zealot. That doesn't just mean he was overly eager. That means in, the, in, in that day and time, a Zealot meant someone who was Jewish who actively worked against and tried to undermine the Roman government. So here you had two guys who were Jewish in ethnicity and religion, and one went to work for the Romans, and the other one worked to actively undermine them. This, this is the group Jesus selected, from Peter to Judas, and Matthew and Simon the Zealot. What was he thinking? What was he thinking? Quite a, a tapestry. We've talked about tapestry that... Sometimes there's all kinds of things that are in a tapestry that as it's being built, it may not make sense. Eventually, the picture emerges. Quite a tapestry of disciples there. So it's clear that being fully human doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean having your act together. It doesn't mean all those things. So Jesus... uh, when you're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, you know, one of the signature teachings of Jesus was the Sermon on the Mount. That's chapters 5, 6, 7. In chapter 8, Jesus starts on what I call his, uh, his teaching and miracle tour, that, um, that he travels. And everywhere he goes, he encounters people in tremendous need. And he'll say, the kingdom of heaven is here. And he'll give sight to the blind. He'll make sure someone who's been outcast in their community is brought in. He's always helping to restore the humanity of the people he encounters. Every step of the way. So you get to this, this piece then in late in chapter 9 that, was, that uh, Kelly read just a little bit ago. And, and he makes a statement, plead with the, the, the harvest is plentiful. Plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. There's a lot of need out there. We need people to go. 
Now, you, some of you have probably heard in, in some uh, leadership material that talk about vectors of influence, this idea that, you know, you, you influence this number of people into kind of an expanding array of folks through time. Uh, but the idea is if, that if, if you can help build the capacity in other people to do that, well, now all of a sudden you expand your reach exponentially, right? I mean, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus has done his own ministry, He's praying, we need more, more of these folks doing these things. And so in chapter 10, Jesus sends the 12 disciples out on a mission. He says, as you go, make this announcement. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and throw out demons which is exactly what Jesus has been doing since the beginning of chapter 8. He's not saying, well, you know, you guys don't have your act together yet, so we're going to hang on. You need more training. No, he says, no, we've got to go. Because there are people in need out there. I guess maybe said another way, Jesus was saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is what it looks like, that you are restored that you are restored to health, you are restored to belonging in the community, you are restored to life, you are restored in your relationship. That's what the kingdom of heaven will look like. If you, if you did a Venn diagram, it would be really, really simple. There would be two circles here. There would be the circle of the kingdom of heaven, and then there would be the circle of the world. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you see where they overlap? That's where I need you. That's where I need you. Well, let me talk about Jesus' miracles for a second. You have to account for Jesus' miracles, right? The things that he did. Um, they were, some of them were pretty remarkable uh, of what he did. All of them, every single one of them in the Gospels was done to benefit a person or a group of people. Every single one of them. Well, there was one exception. I'll come back to that in a second. That he, that he always did things that were miracles to help another person. Oh, I know you're wondering about the exception. So, so the exception is the time that Jesus was in Jerusalem uh, early in the day, and he was hungry. He saw a fig tree, and he goes to the fig tree to, to eat, and it had no fruit on it. And he cursed it, and the fig tree shriveled up and died. The one time, the one time Jesus used his power in a destructive way. And so you think, well, what in the world? Well... You've got to always remember the context, right? You've got to always remember what else is going on. This happened at, in the time frame that would have been what we call Holy Week. Jesus had had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday. He had turned over the, the, the money changers in the temple area, made a few people mad on Monday. Tuesday, he sees this fig tree and he curses it. Now, every time in the Gospels that Jesus talks about fruit, He is talking about bearing fruit in your life. For people of faith, are you bearing fruit? Are you blessing others in the way that God has blessed you? Are you witnessing to God's goodness and glory? Are you bearing fruit with your faith in your life? So this is a metaphor that there is a judgment coming for those people of faith who don't bear fruit, who don't bear any fruit. 
Everything else is to help people. And Jewish, Jesus never used that healing power for himself. There were opportunities when he was tempted in the wilderness. Well, for that matter, when he was hanging on the cross. He could have used his power, and he did not. He used healing power, miracle power for others to restore them. So what would it look like to live in love like Jesus? What would it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus? So, um, just uh, like I said, well, the Apostles' Creed was uh, something that happened in baptism, right? Well, when we do baptism, uh, there's, uh, in the baptism liturgy that we use, there's a question that gets asked of those being presented for baptism. And, And the question, this is part of that question, that I or another pastor would ask, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? So when people, when, when you see that there are other people who are not being allowed to, to live into their humanity for whatever reason, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to help that person? When you see someone else not able to live up to their, to their full humanity for whatever reason, are you willing to accept the power and freedom God gives you to help out that person and to restore them? So, so we resist evil and injustice and oppression uh, when we deliver furniture for Bed Start to a family who desperately needs furniture, when we help a child learn to read at Malvern Elementary, when we build a house for a family in Juarez, Mexico, when we collect food for feeding McKinney, when we donate to or volunteer with the prom closet or we, or we give to uh, a family promise or a community lifeline center, when we engage in those things, that's part of it, yes, absolutely. That's what we as a church, that's, why, that's part of why we as a church create these opportunities to do these things because it's a part of going out into the world because Jesus says there's a lot of need. And Jesus shows that's the life he calls us to live. But there's other, those are other times. There's other times that you're just in conversation with somebody and they say something really uh, inappropriate about another person because they are fill in the blank. Or a group of people because they are fill in the blank. And they speak of them in an in a offensive and dehumanizing way. If I'm understanding the gospel right, God would say, Jesus would say, need you to step into that space and help restore that person's life. Sometimes that might just mean to say to somebody, hey, I think we don't need to make overgeneralizations about that person or that group of people or Hey, that's, you know, that's not been my experience, what you're talking about right there. Because without, without any kind of resistance, people are just going to keep saying it. They're going to keep thinking it. I'm not saying you have to get in their face. I'm not saying you have to uh, challenge them to a fist fight. Just a step of pushing against it. To live in love like Jesus means to live the life Jesus showed us <clears throat> 
that this tapestry of disciples who were at that table that night were certainly not perfect. They didn't have their act all together. I mean, there was, there was the proud, the angry, the hateful, the helpful that Jesus welcomed to his table, even the betrayer. So Jesus invites even the likes of you and me to come to the table, to take the bread and the cup. So that nourished by that meal, we can be changed people to go out in our full humanity with Jesus as our example. Hebrews says the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So looking to Jesus, we live into that reality. That we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. That we can resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.